0: Today is the 56th day of 2018. Can you believe it? We are 15% over with the year. (laughs) Amazing thought. So I hope that your 4th of July plans are going well as you celebrate that tomorrow. And then Christmas the day after. Because that's sure the way time seems to pass, isn't it? It's just like constantly... Uh, flowing. Uh, literally, it seems like my, my oldest daughter was born a couple days ago, and yesterday she celebrated her 17th birthday. Uh, it, and, and you parents that have been there, you get it, right? You, 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 you heard it all your life. Everybody said it. Time just passes so quickly. You know, seize every moment, and certainly the older I get, that, that seems to become more and more the truth. But I wonder when it comes to time, you ever feel overwhelmed or feel like you're drowning in it? I remember years ago in my younger teenage years, which certainly meant they were foolish for me. Uh, I wasn't a surfer even though I grew up here in San Diego, but I liked to, to bodyboard. And so I had a you know, boogie board and my, my grandma had a condo for a season right on the beach down in Imperial Beach. And so I would go there as often as possible and jump in the water and enjoy catching waves and such. And, and I was really excited because one day I heard there was this huge, massive storm coming into town and the waves are gonna be big. And I'm like, cool, I wanna go try that. And so in my foolishness and lack of wisdom, I took my body board with no fins, went into the midst of the raging sea and tried to catch some of those really big waves and those waves tossed me around like I was nothing you might have had an experience like that when you're under the water and you don't know which way is up or down and you're you're being tossed and turned and you literally think you're about to die it's overwhelming it's scary It certainly brings a big amount of fear into our lives. And as I recall that day, there there are moments in my life, and I wonder if you've had similar moments where you have felt swept away in a similar fashion by this thing that we call time. The feeling of, of helplessness as it passes over you. The feeling of being tossed around on its powerful waves. How frail, how powerless we feel as these 86,400 seconds tick away each day that we are given to live. And then like a puff of vapor on these cold mornings we've been experiencing. They're gone. We tend to become quite overwhelmed with life, with busyness in life. And certainly we're offered fixes to this challenge, the fix of time management. Which I admit in many ways is is helpful. So maybe in an attempt for you to grab a hold of what seems like time slipping away from you, you, you go grab the latest Covey, Franklin Covey planner or or getting things done planner, or you download that new app or that new piece of software that, that's gonna finally help you get a hold of your life, finally help you manage time. I want you to consider that phrase for a moment, manage time. This is what we're called to do. When you think of management, some use the biblical word stewardship, and that certainly is appropriate. We are called to be stewards of time. The world puts pressure on us and calls us to manage time well because really you'll never get it back. And that certainly is motivating, but it's helpful for us to consider that as Christians we live by a different ethic. It's not that you'll never get time back. Yes, you will. You see, time is to be invested. There are rewards. There is eternity. And according to Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 and 16, we are to look carefully how we walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. And then the call is this, redeeming the time. Literally buy back your time because the days are evil. The context of Ephesians 5 is is the call to be imitators of God, to, to love God and to love other people in a redemptive way because we have been loved in a redemptive way, to offer forgiveness of others in a redemptive way because we have been offered forgiveness in a redemptive way. And in the same way, we are to redeem time. We're called to be Managers of time, stewards of time, just like all of God's blessings, but how? How do we begin attempting such a great task? Well, Psalm 90 shows us, and it shows us at the root level, not just the fruit level. It's, it shows us at the level of belief where the psalmist digs at the foundational roots of our understanding of who God is and who we are. How we are affected by sin and the great gift of salvation. It reveals to us by the way we live what is truly held dear in our hearts and it confronts us with these challenges stewardship is managing God's blessings and if you think of God's blessings what are they it's everything right take a breath you're blessed this gift of time this gift of being alive right now right here is a gift from God and we are to manage it his way and for his glory And so as we look to Psalm 90, the main idea of the sermon today is this, that we manage time faithfully by living each moment in light of God's eternality and the brevity of our lives. And so let me read through the psalm and then we'll go through three points that I have for you today. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, Lord. You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. As we consider managing the blessing of time, God's way and for God's glory, it requires, I see from these this passage these three things. The first is the recognition of God's majesty and eternality. The second is the realization of our frailty and brevity. And the third is a reliance on God's grace and mercy. And so it's pointing us to consider the great truth. Who is God? And then secondly, who are we? And then thirdly, the root of how we are to live in this, as the seconds tick away in this life. And so back to point number one in verses one and two. Let's consider the recognition of God's majesty and his eternality. And grab a clue from this. As the psalmist begins, he begins with God. And that's where everything that we consider worthwhile should begin. It always starts with God. If we start with ourselves, we start with the wrong thing. We start with God. And in his starting with God, we we see him proclaiming the majesty of God in creation and even in pre creation. He says in verse 1 Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. God's people says the psalmist have always known these truth. That God is a refuge, God is a rock, but he's not just a refuge, just a rock. He is in whom we live and breathe and have our being. The great hymn writer Isaac Watts put it in poetic words when he wrote his hymn, Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. Perhaps this verse becomes more significant in our understanding when we consider that the context of it is written by Moses, the great prophet of God, the great leader of the Exodus who led his the people of God, out of the nation of Egypt into the promised land. But most of us know what happened in the midst of that journey to the promised land. The people of God sinned, and they were not allowed to enter, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. In the context of Moses writing this beautiful song and saying, Lord, even though we're in the midst of wandering in the desert, we don't have a country, we don't have a land, we don't have a home, you have been our home. You have been our land. You are our promise in all generations, no matter where the people of God are. You are home What is home? It's much more than a location, isn't it? It's much more than a building made of brick or wood. It's a place of comfort. It's a place of safety, a place of security, or at least it should be. It's a place where you can be who you really are, it's a place of, of family. Closeness, it's a place where the the masks are off and the makeup has been washed away. And you are known in all of your splendor and all of your not so splendor. You're known deeply and yet still loved. Even more deeply. And yet as good as all of these things are, as close as our hearts cling to home, come on, we're suckers for home, aren't we? There's certain smells that remind us. There's certain tastes that remind us. That's why we call it comfort food. It takes you back. It reminds you of safety and security and love. And yet as good as these things are, it is still no paradise, is it? I love my home, but my home is no paradise. We have our challenges. What is home? The psalmist says, you, O God, are our home. From all generations, you have been our dwelling place. And he stands as our dwelling place because he stands outside of time and above time look at verse 2 before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting you are god in that short verse we hear the echoes of creation where god speaks and the universe comes into existence the power of God as creator, the power of God to form the mountains and the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, Moses says, He is God. Isaiah says it another way in Isaiah 40:28. He says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? And the context of that is to draw our attention upward, to look at the stars. To consider the heavenly bodies that we gaze at and wonder at this amazing creation. And and, and Isaiah calls us to consider that and, and say, don't you get it? Haven't you known? Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. This is the majesty of God. This is the eternal one with no beginning and no end. He knows all, he sees all, he understands all, he has all power, he has all authority, he has all wisdom, he is in all places, all at once. Can your mind grasp the majesty of God? And as Moses calls our attention to grasp the majesty of God, point two, he calls us to understand and realize our own frailty and brevity. He says in verse three, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man.'" Once again, we hear the echoes of creation in verse 3 where man was formed from the dust of the earth. And this is Moses' poetic way of saying, you are going to die. Look at the contrast. The everlasting God. A vapor of the life of a man and a woman. Verse 4, for a thousand years in your sight are as but yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Can our minds even conceive a thousand years? I got on Google recently just to ask Google, because Google knows almost everything, right? What happened in the year 1018, a thousand years ago? And I read these, and I'm most of it I never heard of. It seems so far away. And Moses tells us, How is it with God? God says, that's like yesterday. Or like like a watch in the night, which was roughly three or four hours. Verse 5, he says, You sweep them away as with a flood. That's how quickly we come and go, how quickly we fade. And and if we begin to look at this honestly, it starts pricking at us as prideful people, does it not? As a people who are very prone to be very self-focused and and man-centered. We we read this and and it begins to bother us. We don't want to consider ourselves in any other light other than strong and powerful and mighty look at man look at us look at what we've done we build monuments to ourselves and yet when god wants to make a comparison of who we are he says in verse five they are like a dream (laughs) like waking up in the morning and remembering I dreamed about something last night, but I can't quite remember what it was. It fades away, or it's like we are like grass that is renewed in the morning. And this is especially helpful for us to grasp when we understand the grass in the ancient Middle East, or even today, where it's, it's known to be out in the desert areas that such as they were wandering in, that a rainstorm would come, and literally grass would grow up in a matter of a morning. You would see some green grass, and later on in the afternoon, it was gone. So he, he's wanting us to see something, to, 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 to grasp something. Moses is driving us to consider ourselves in the light of God. you see what he does? He points our attention first to who God is Look at the greatness of God. Now consider yourself in the light of God. Who we compare ourselves to matters. The Puritan Stephen Sharnock said this, If man compares himself with other creatures, he may be too sensible of his greatness. But if he compares himself with God, he cannot be sensible but of his baseness. so Moses calls us to consider and contrast the brevity of our lives with the eternality of himself. He calls us to consider the fact that our lives will one day end. He wants us to think about dying. Some would say, Brian, isn't that a bit morbid? I don't like to think about that day. No, listen, friends, it's good to think about the day of your death. I believe it should be a regular thing for Christians. John Calvin said this, No one has made much progress in the school of Christ who doesn't look forward joyfully both to his death and the day of his final resurrection. As we consider these things, as we consider our limitations, our our weaknesses, even the fact that we will one day die, it's not just a consideration of weakness or limitation, but it's a call to consider the nature of our sin. It's a call to help us understand that we're not just a little bit missing the mark. No, we are rebels against a holy and magnificent An eternal God. So it's not enough to consider our mortality. Moses drives us to ask why. Why will we die? Verse 7. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath. We are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. Do you see what he's doing? This is who God is. This is the majesty of God. Now, as you you consider yourselves in the light of who God is, you can't help but be exposed in your sin. And Moses drives us to understand that this ugly thing called death that we hate to consider comes upon us because all have sinned. There is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 9 takes it a bit further. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. This is the truth of who we are. We're here today. We're gone tomorrow. You might get 70 years on average. You might get 80. We've got a couple ladies in our church in their 90s. We've got one lady 96 years old, and she's still serving, setting up communion and incredible. You might live the 96, and it's still a puff of vapor. Verse 11, who considers the power of your anger? These words Moses keeps bringing up the anger of God, the wrath of God, the iniquity of man, the secret sins of man that are brought to light in the presence of this angry God. Why is he angry? Why is he wrathful? It's because we are sinners. And sin is much more than just making a mistake. Sin is cosmic rebellion against our creator. Sin is shaking our fist at the one who gave us life. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Sadly, not many. Jesus himself said, narrow is the path, and there's few that find it. King David, the great psalmist, Wrote in Psalm 39 verse 4, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah, think about this. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. This is quite discouraging, is it not? Well, it is if you don't read to the end. Because if you can recognize the majesty and the eternality of God and fall on your face in awe and wonder, and if you can realize the the frailty and the brevity of people and tremble, then the only appropriate response is to turn to the everlasting God who is our home and to rely on His grace and mercy. The third point. The thrust of this call to look at who God is and who we are is not to leave us desperate nor discouraged. The thrust is dependence. The thrust is look to Him. The thrust is rest in Him. The thrust is trust Him. And the encouragement in this lamentful song is that those who trust the God of eternity can know peace we can know rest. We actually can have comfort even in the midst of the busyness of life and time seemingly passing by so fast. In, even in spite of impending death. For God keeps his people in safety and joy forever. And so verse 12, which is the crux and the turning point of this song of Moses. He says, so... which which is a purposeful word to say, based on what I've just said, based on the majesty of God, the everlasting God, based on the frailty and the sinfulness of man. So teach us, teach us, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We must be taught. We will not naturally be good stewards of time. We will not faithfully steward the seconds of the day, the minutes, nor the hours of the day. We will not do this His way and for God's glory, apart from Him opening our eyes to seeing who He is, who we are in light of who He is, and then what He has done in saving us. How does He teach us? As we offer this prayer, God teach us to number our days. How does He teach us? He teaches us by revealing Himself. Revealing his eternality in in light of our mortality. His strength in light of our weakness. His greatness in the midst of our frailness. His holiness in the midst of our sinfulness. And as he reveals himself to us, as he opens Blinded eyes to be able to see who he is and who I am. It's a call. It's a gracious, beautiful call to himself. To himself as our eternal home. To trust him. To not think of ourselves as able to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and fix all our problems. But to rely on his grace. By nature, apart from God opening our eyes to see it, we don't recognize the relationship between our mortality and sin. By nature, we don't live in the truth of these things. And and even as Christians whose natures have been changed, we often lean toward forgetting, do we not? And so in an attempt to not forget, we will even borrow the ways of the world and, and, and maybe have a preoccupation to live for the moment, right? To carpe diem, seize the day. I see Robin Williams running around in my mind. Right? What was that? Dead Poet Society. Remember that movie? And if you consider, actually, if you remember that movie, that was the thrust, right? Seize the day. Why? Because all of these guys are dead and you don't have much time. There was this understanding of there is no tomorrow. That is not what God is teaching us here through Moses in this psalm. Oh, he's saying seize the day because there is tomorrow. Teach me to number my days. It doesn't mean pull your calendar out and start counting them. Pick them off on, the, on your notebook. It means teach me to go through my life estimating time in light of eternity. Teach me to recognize that the great span of God's providential care is the thing that gives substance and foundation and meaning to my existence now. That I am not an orphan in an age of no tomorrows as an old song said. And so it's a call to not live for the moment, but to live in the moment, in the light of eternity. This, my friends, is a great privilege if you can see this truth. The great privilege we have been given of eternal life, which speaks just as much of the quality of life that we have been given in God through Christ As the quantity. We generally think of eternal life in terms of never ending. And certainly that is true. But do you often consider it as a quality of life? That it's the very life of God that he gives to those who believe. Jesus helps us to understand this. In John 17 verse 3 he said this. And this is eternal life. And when Jesus is about to give a definition of something, we should be really listening, right? You want to know what eternal life is? He says, here it is. Here it is. And notice, there's no talks of sitting on clouds with harps. There's none of that. There's no just resting and kicking your feet up. He says, you want to know what eternal life is? It's this, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ Whom you have sent. And so our understanding of eternal life is heightened much more than just a someday. It also, brothers and sisters, is right now. You are living a quality of life as a Christian. If you are a Christian in here today, you live a quality of life that is eternal. But I wonder wonder if that's your story I wonder if you know God not not a God that we imagine in our limited minds but the eternal God of the Bible the giver of life and breath, the creator of heaven and earth the God who who is to be feared because his, his holy wrath will judge sin. And the gracious God who sent Jesus, his only son, as the savior of the world to take upon himself the judgment that I deserve. The judgment that you as a sinner. Deserve. Because God is holy. He will judge sin. And if you. Are not a believer here today. Let me present before you. This beautiful news. His. All. Glorious truth. That as a sinner. You can be forgiven. Because God, as a holy God, will judge sin. But as a gracious God, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth as God, fully God, fully man. And and he lived the only righteous life that any person ever lived throughout history of time. And he was killed on a Roman cross. Yes, by men, but ultimately by the Father himself, by God himself. He, he was a willing sacrifice, and when he was on that cross, we read in the Bible that he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think about this. The Father himself poured all of his judgment, his wrath, the judgment that should have been mine, It should be yours upon his own son. What grace. And he says, if you believe that he came and he died, and that he rose again on the third day, where he proved who he was. He showed his power over sin and death. And if you believe this, this news, this simple gospel, this good news. He takes his own life and he puts it within your soul. This is the hope of Christians. This is the hope of the world. I plead with you, if you have not believed in to Jesus Christ, may you consider today what he has done for you and consider that in light of who he is And who you are, and may you find life. He tells us to number our days, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And this is what God is after transforming of the heart, the totality of who we are, a mind that that thinks, a will that acts, a spirit that feels, that has been transformed, not by calculation by the miracle of God's creative work of giving us new life. This passage closes with a beautiful call upon God once the sinner has realized who God is and who He is. And he turns in faith and trust to look Upon this God and to say, I trust your work. I trust your person. I trust your character. And then he burst in this beautiful prayer to the Lord at the end. Verse 13, he says, return, O Lord. How long have, have pity on your servants? There's this understanding of, of even though I, I, I'm leaning on you and you are eternal home, God, there's still challenges and struggles in this life. So so come. Come once again, have pity on us. And God's pity here reveals humanity's brokenness, but also God's compassion upon his children, which leads to merciful deliverance. Isn't it a beautiful thought to think that God's fatherly affections are stirred when he looks at our brokenness? And so he calls upon God in these last few verses, verse 14, Satisfy us. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil.n't these beautiful prayers, beautiful expressions that often well up in our own hearts? God, don't, don't teach our heart. Teach us to, to turn away from finding satisfaction and rejoicing and, and, and longing for goodness and love and steadfast love in anything else but in you, our eternal home. Teach that to my heart, God. And then verse 16, let, the, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. See, the grace of, of God in the gospel restores us to live the life which was the original purpose. We, were cre- we, created, we weren't created to die. Sin brought death. God restores, and he restores all of it. He gives us satisfaction in Christ, love in Christ, joy in Christ, and even our work becomes purposeful. Our daily labors and the opportunity to live a life well such that our kids and our grandchildren would even take notice. He closes in verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. How beautiful is that prayer? This this understanding that we can know that what we do matters because God is working through us. This is the call that Paul gives the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15 to, to be steadfast, To be immovable, to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So I encourage you today, church, serve the Lord with gladness, with the seconds of life that you have left, with the vapor that God has given you left. Don't waste it, invest it well, spend it well, redeem the time. Don't let it just blow by you. And let me say specifically to the young, which means everyone under 44 years old, right? (laughs) Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Oh, don't waste these days. Hear the encouragements of your brothers and sisters, especially those senior saints who have... Spent much more of their vapor than you. And they would say, don't waste it. Keep in mind the vision of God in all of his eternality and majesty. And keep in mind the vision of who you are. For those of us who have spent more of that vapor than others, let me just give you one quick word of encouragement. Because sometimes we can look back, and I'm guilty of this often, even though I'm fairly young. But you can look back and kick yourself because of how you spent time, and time that was wasted, and not well invested, not well spent. But listen, where you have failed, wherever you have failed, Jesus has not. His Righteousness is credited to you, which also means that his perfect use of time is credited to your account. So live in light of that with the vapor that you do have left. Draw upon the grace and mercy of such a holy and loving God. Keep your eyes on him, being amazed at who he is and what he has done Be reminded of who you are as limited, frail, weak, and sinful. But as you get your eyes off yourself and back on Jesus, be reminded of who you are in him. His son, his daughter, given his grace, chosen by him before creation, loved by him with an inseparable love, redeemed and forgiven for all of your sins. This is where we stand, in him. This is what we get to celebrate now. As we remember him. Let us pray. Father teach us. Teach us to number our days. That we might gain the wisdom we need. In order to spend these moments. Faithfully. And wisely. Encourage your people today with this beautiful psalm. Help us. Help us to be led as we see this high vision of you and this sobering vision of ourselves to look once again, or even possibly for the very first time, to your grace and your mercy that we see in Christ alone. It's in his name we pray. Amen.